Welcome to Waypoint, an Oklahoma human services podcast intended to inform, educate, and enhance collaboration and service to Oklahomans. I'm Comfort. And I'm Casey, and we're on this journey with you together. On today's episode, we're speaking with Dr. Chan Hellman about the science of hope. Dr. Hellman is a professor of social work at the University of Oklahoma and director of the Hope Research Center. He has written more than 150 scientific publications and has presented at numerous national and international conferences worldwide. Dr. Hellman's research is focused on hope as a psychological strength, helping children and adults overcome trauma and adversity. He is the co-author of the award-winning book, Hope Rising, How the Science of Hope Can Change Your Life, with his co-author, Casey Gwynn, published by Morgan James. What is the science of hope? So uh, hope uh, is the belief that the future will be better than today and that uh, you have the power to make it so. The interesting thing about that definition is that the very first part of it, hope is the belief that the future will be better than today, that's really just optimism or positive thinking, uh, positive expectation. This idea that we have the power to make it so shows that hope is about taking action to pursue that future. The reason that's so important is because it demonstrates that hope is more than a wish. And so really understanding that individuals set goals towards the future and that uh, the Department of Human Services, the staff, the leadership are all pathways of hope for Oklahomans. So that's, that's it in a nutshell. What, what I'm so interested to know is how did you get into this work? What inspired you to do this? Yeah, so, um, wow. Uh, do you got a couple weeks, maybe? <laughs> that's, uh, that's a pretty heavy question. Uh, there's really two pieces to that answer. Part of, part of that answer is my own story. Um, and then the other part of that is my professional life uh, as a professor at the University of Oklahoma and my teaching and research uh, responsibilities. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about uh, my story. It's, uh, it's, a little, it's in the book, uh, Hope Rising. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will tell you that writing my story in that book was the first time that I had wow. shared my really? story. And uh, it took me six additions, six revisions to get where it is today. Uh, Because each time, the first time was really difficult. Uh, The second time was guarded. uh, And then the sixth time was pretty vulnerable. And to be honest with you, it's not all there. Um, Mm. There are still parts of that that are that are mine. Uh, And uh, coming from a, a childhood of pretty extreme adversity, Um, that transitioned into homelessness uh, in the high school uh, years. Um, So that is kind of my story. And I, you know, um, as I transitioned uh, into uh, going to college, getting kicked out of college uh, for academic, um, you know, I just didn't perform. Um, And then going back to college, taking my first psychology class and just the light bulb changed for me. And I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I knew exactly what I wanted to be uh, from that point. And so it's interesting that I went into the field of psychology, 
but I avoided all of the counseling classes. I, uh, I took one uh, counseling class in my life. I got a C in it. I'm not good at it. Uh, but I really avoided it, and I really embraced the research side of things. And I really just put my past, just sort of compartmentalized it and, and tried to move on with my life. Interestingly enough, as a quantitative psychologist, uh, my PhDs in statistics and research methods, um, I immediately started doing work in domestic violence and child maltreatment and homelessness. And so it's almost like I was avoiding it on one sense, but paralleling it mm -hmm. in my research on the other side of it. And did a, a lot of uh, research and outcome studies for the nonprofit human service uh, world. And then I, I met a young man that changed my life. Uh, personally and professionally. It's described in the book, so I won't go into great detail. Was this your coach? No, the coach is actually the reason I'm alive today. Uh, oh. Yeah. Gene uh, Berg uh, is the name. I actually used a, a different name in the in the book because I did, at that time didn't have his permission. Mm -hmm. um, in eighth grade, I as I transitioned into homelessness, I was in a really dark place and in a lot of despair. It, it was just every day was, where am I going to sleep? Where am I going to eat? How am I going to be safe? And so I came up with a plan and a date and um, had a shotgun and, you know, a strategy and, and all of that. The coach um, didn't know what was going on. He knew something was going on with me, but he didn't know what was happening with me. And he just really came in and sat down beside me, didn't talk. He was just with me. And so anyway, when I reached the date, uh, the plan, and was, you know, reflecting on this was it, he, in that moment in time, just came to the forefront of my mind. And something he said changed my decision. And it was something so simple. And he just said, Chan, you're going to be okay. And what he really communicated to me that I know now, I understand now. At the time, I didn't understand this. But what he, what he shared with me was that, that I mattered. Mm -hmm. um, because I was really going through a time where I was, I felt dismissed. And mm -hmm. so anyway, that's the, that's the coach. But when I, when I um, got into my professional life uh, at the University of Oklahoma, I just I met a client uh, who was recently diagnosed as HIV positive, was homeless in Tulsa, but he was not um, in despair. Mm -hmm. He um, had future goals. He was telling me that he was enrolled at uh, Tulsa Community College, had his major, had already had an appointment with an academic counselor. He had a plan, and it just in that moment it was like the wall crumbled for me, and the two worlds came together because I. I saw in him something that was really magical mm -hmm. to me, and I didn't know it in that moment, but what David taught me was hope. And, I mean, a 10-minute conversation just completely changed your life. Changed my <laughs> life. Um, and then just so many other people have leaned in, the leadership at DHS just really saw a bigger vision for hope and uh, which has led us to where we are today. 
with 6,500 employees being trained in the science of hope, with hope navigators embedded in every division. You know, an Oklahoma Department of Human Services becoming the first state agency in the nation. Really? Uh, because many others are now following um, from, from other states. So very exciting. Very exciting. You mentioned hope navigators. Can you please tell us a little bit more of what that is? So the training that uh, we've developed, uh, and my, my colleague, Dr. Angela Ferris, and I developing this curriculum together, we, we basically took the 15 years of research that I've been doing um, in these areas of domestic violence and child maltreatment and homelessness and food insecurity and, and other areas of uh, people who are really, you know, struggling and began to look at um, how do you nurture hope? And so we knew that hope led to significant positive outcomes, that if we could restore and nurture hope um, in this context of trauma and adversity, really good things started to happen for, for children, for adults, and families. I mean, we had published in all of those areas. So we really started to lean in on how do you teach hope? How do you really intentionally teach hope? So that really led to our training program, and it's really three phases. The first phase is, uh, for lack of a better word, a keynote style. It's about a one-hour introduction to uh, the, the science and power of hope. A lot of what we've been doing over the last year with 30-minute videos here or 15-minute videos or an hour talk uh, before the pandemic in the, in the green room, mm -hmm. we had an event. Um, and if you've never been to the green room, that's a great descriptor. Uh, it's, <laughs> very, it's green. very green. Very <laughs> green. Um, and then we created a four-hour uh, deeper dive hope awareness training. Uh, and that's the, the part that all 6,500 employees will get exposed to. There's now uh, a video uh, course that uh, has been distributed, and Angela and I have been doing trainings across the divisions. Uh, but the hope navigator, going back to your question, is the deeper dive. And so the idea is once we make uh, the opportunity for everybody to be aware of the science and power of hope, how do we begin to embed experts for the sustainability of hope? And so the hope navigator uh, is a roughly 12-hour, two-day training, deeper dive in a train-the-trainer model. And so the idea is to equip uh, DHS staff uh, across the agency to become those leaders who will uh, begin the, the project implementation. So not just, a, you know, like we're doing, talking about hope, but putting hope to action. And that's really exciting to see what's happening here at DHS. Like that, that leads me to think too, you know, why is hope so, I mean, you've kind of touched on it already, but why is hope so important for um, the customers we serve and then also for our employees here at DHS? Yeah, so hope is just such a fundamental aspect of who we are as, as people, uh, whether children, adults, families. Um, hope is, is, is a core part of who we are. And when we lose uh, or our hope uh, becomes robbed by trauma and adversity. It really puts us in a place where we're stuck. 
um, and it can lead to despair and desperation. And so what we found in over 2,000 published studies, uh, we've conducted a little over 200 studies now, um, but there are 2,000 uh, published studies, and the results are stunning. Uh, from the field of science, it's just absolutely amazing to me that there is this area of science where it is not contested at all. And hope is the single best predictor of well-being for children, adults, and families. The science is clear. And so I think having that robust foundation of evidence and science uh, is very important. Mm -hmm. But I think what's really magical for me personally is my core belief in the science of hope is that you're already doing it. I think you're doing this work. I think that what the science of hope does is it provides a framework and a language that describes what you do. And imagine the difference in culture if everything we have been focused on for decades is the reduction of what's wrong with people, right? Mm -hmm. And we transform that into helping to restore and nurture mm -hmm. hope so that everybody in the state of Oklahoma has the opportunity to thrive. Mm -hmm. That is a completely different way of looking at the same work that you're doing. You are pathways of hope for uh, families and for Oklahomans uh, as an agency from birth to death. So I think um, you know one of the things that make it really uh, attractive is that you're doing it. Um, there's evidence behind that you're doing it well um, that you're changing people's lives. And it's a, it's a completely different way of looking at it from the, you know, what's wrong with you framework. Mm -hmm. And if so, for instance, um, historically, instead of studying hope as a psychologist, what we have historically studied is hopelessness. And the idea is if we can reduce hopelessness, that's well-being. And that's, that's just not true. And so I love this strengths model mm -hmm. of let's talk about building hope. Let's yes. talk about nurturing and restoring hope. The other thing is, is that even as the as the Department of Human Services leading this effort in the nation, um, because I've just returned from the state of Mississippi, for instance, and, and they're watching. Um, but, you know, as other state agencies and other community partners are all uh, becoming aware of the science of hope, it provides almost a system level or state level common framework of what we're working towards, which I think is really, really special. It's really special for me to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of breathtaking when you think of it in that context, like just uh, how you can help families and children just identify and intensify their the strengths that they have within themselves right and then and then get to places where where they want to be whatever whatever their goal is right mm -hmm. right well we do have a common um, guiding principle uh, within the science of hope and the statement is that hope begets hope and mm -hmm. so if you've been through the training if you've seen the video you'll hear me say that um, and it's a, it's a really nice soundbite, quite frankly, hope begets hope. But for the hope navigators, for instance, what they learn is that behind that statement, there's a whole set of activities and why that statement is so important. Because as you begin to experience success, 
in your quest or journey for the goal and you start to see that the future is possible, it begins to ignite our willpower. It begins to help us fine-tune those pathways so that our hope becomes stronger. And, you know, three, four, five benchmarks down the road on as we're journeying towards our goal, the future is almost completely different than it was when we started because now it's possible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, imagine working with a child whose basic self-talk uh, every day, all day is, I can't. I'll never. They won't let me. And so all of these self-limiting conversations that we have with ourselves. But as you begin to see that I'm progressing towards the future and it's all me, mm-hmm. you know, and I've got a DHS worker walking alongside with me, right, then um, hope begets hope. It builds upon itself. It's such a powerful thing to watch. That is a powerful thing. So, and that that leads us to another good question about um, how you are kind of watching the agency integrate hope into our service delivery. And then um, you mentioned about becoming a hope hope centered organization. I also wonder if you could talk about what a hope centered organization is as well. So, the, <clears throat> the hope centered organization, uh, and that's the the beauty of the the partnership and the part that I absolutely adore uh, in my relationship with uh, with you all with DHS is we had a general idea of that, but the the agency uh, and the leadership uh, decided to go down that road with us to help us better understand that, to learn that journey together. Um, and so what we're, what we're learning is that a hope-centered organization is one that infuses hope as a core value uh, into the organization, that it's a shared, valued uh, strength. Um, and, and direction. Uh, so that's the common language. And so once it, once it becomes a core value within the agency, then it becomes infused into the structures of the agency, to the policies and procedures, for instance. And so we begin to look at all of the core practices and, and begin to question intentionally, does this process nurture hope? And if so, how does it do that? And can it be fine-tuned or revamped so that it vary intentionally? So one of the things that we know is that uh, individuals experiencing adversity are more likely to set an avoidant goal, a, a goal that they don't want to occur. And how many of our programs historically are grounded in don't do this? Mm-hmm. If you don't mm-hmm. do this, you'll get a reward, or more importantly, if you do these things, you're going to get punished. And so it, it, it almost uh, inherently created an avoidant framework. And so if we begin to re-examine uh, those things, so for instance, TANF and uh, food stamps or the SNAP program and others are now pathways uh, to well-being uh, for, again, children, adults, and families that uh, securing those resources isn't necessarily the goal. It may be in the short-term moment, but it ultimately becomes a pathway so that that family can live life well. Mm-hmm. And that's exciting. I think it's interesting just to think about that as a worker or a specialist. Like, I think we get into the monotony of doing this kind of work, and we we lose the vision that we are actually those pathways. And if we could reframe and think of ourselves every day when we go into work 
I'm a pathway. I'm not just a specialist. I'm a worker. I'm a pathway to getting folks where they need to be. It it definitely has more of a I don't know what the word is, but <laughs> it's why you, it's why you got into this work. Yeah. You know, I mean, you got into this work to help people. You got into this work because you knew that you had something to give. Um, keeps the momentum going. It does. What is that word that we keep the momentum? Yeah. Momentous. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, the other nice thing, and, and that was sort of a description of why it's important for Oklahomans that um, DHS becomes a hope-centered uh, state agency. But let's look internally to the agency and what we what we've learned with you is that your staff hope uh, is a significant predictor of their well-being. Yes, uh, it is a significant protective factor to burnout. Um, yes. It reduces turnover. Um, and so as we begin to understand hope within the staff, then how do we start to look at hope-centered leadership or hope-centered statements? that are focused on the care and well-being uh, of the staff who are out just doing really hard work, especially right now. I mean, mm-hmm. my gosh, in this time of COVID and still serving people well. I'm, I'm curious to know, what is your perspective on hope in this work pre, during, and post-COVID? Yeah, so I think um, pre-COVID, um, a lot of it was focused, a lot of the hope stuff was focused on clients. Uh, a lot of it was uh, somewhat uh, on staff. You know, uh, I'm a big fan of Brene Brown. I usually say that during all of my presentations. <laughs> you can't give what you don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we do need, we've always needed to make sure that we're intentional in that self, self-care. Um, self-care is probably not the right word. I think organizational care of, oh, yes. of staff, you know, to be very intentional uh, about that. COVID sort of shifted that, that we have this common experience and suddenly my home life, my work life, my Zoom life is all intertwined Mm -hmm. and there's no separation. And, you know, it's not like we would have a meeting and then we would get at least a break of walking down to the hall to the next meeting, right? With Zoom now or, or these other platforms, we're signing off here and signing on there and mm-hmm. um, still trying to serve family, still su- trying to serve where we, you know, have to be really careful about their well-being with regard to COVID, our well-being to COVID. And I think it just, I think we're tired. And, you know, as the vaccine is rolling out, uh, which is, you know, clearly light uh, within the tunnel, I won't say at the end of the tunnel, uh, <laughs> within the tunnel, you know, we we want this to go back to normal now, and and it's not, and it's not going to for a long time. And I think that makes us tired as we mm-hmm. realize that that it's we want this to be over. So, so we've got to be very intentional about being pathways of hope um, in a more holistic way, and giving people st- space when they're tired, you know, and, and honoring that space. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody's really in the throes of, of stress and adversity, we don't just rush up to them and say, hey, we just need you to be hopeful. You know, let's set a goal. Let's find a you know, pathway. We need to honor that emotional and cognitive experience um, because it's real and it's normal. 
um, you know, we talk about negative affect, you know, anger, frustration, depression, sadness, all of those things. And those are natural human responses. Mm -hmm. And they need their space. What we're saying is we shouldn't just solely focus on that, which is what historically the helping professions have done. What do you think are some ways that, I mean, in, in COVID times and just in regular times, that each of us can kind of infuse hope for ourselves and for those we serve and also, like you said, kind of for our family members and for our coworkers? Yeah, so one of the single best predictors of hope, uh, again, for children and adults and families is social connectedness. Um, and part of that, I, as you were asking that question, my, my coach in uh, my own story just sort of popped into my mind. And, you know, it wasn't that he came up and had a silver magical bullet to make me all better. Um, he literally just was with me. Mm-hmm. And it was really authentic. He wasn't there to solve anything. He was just there to be in that moment with me. Mm-hmm. Kind of like you said, too, making space for yeah. whatever it was you were feeling at that and time. And so I think you know, I, I don't think that we have to go into any situation and say, okay, we've got the magic bullet. I, I think hope is the, the mechanism, mm-hmm. but it's not a five-minute solution. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a life journey of goals, pathways, and willpower. And so I think, you know, we have to be maybe a little more thoughtful about the idea of social connectedness um, because sometimes that's, that's literally just saying, I see you. Yes. You know, I, my gosh, how powerful is that? Mm-hmm. I mean, it saved my life. It's powerful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Uh, in a lecture that we watched that you gave on YouTube, we heard you say, to remember that hope is a collective we. How do we give kids in foster care the experience of belonging to a we? Yeah, so I think when we begin to look into the various domains and with uh, within DHS, the OXA program was one of the first programs that we started working with. And Dr. Angela Ferris is really the, the lead on that from, from our side. But it's, it's transitioning from a mindset or a framework of, you know, we need to make sure that a, that a youth knows how to budget for an apartment or that they can make a doctor's appointment. I mean, all of those things are clearly important. But what we have to do is really lean into the fact that there are important domains in all of our lives, um, including a foster youth, and that's education, that's leisure, that's uh, family, that's work, that's, you know, all of these important domains. And so uh, what we've begun to look at is how you begin to set goals within those important domains in a foster youth's life, that the foster youth is part of identifying that. And then uh, beginning to look at along those pathways and those benchmarks is being pretty intentional about who's on your team. It's not the foster child in isolation going down that journey. Uh, Hope is a social gift, and that's what I really intend in that. And so uh, we're beginning to look at these strategies. So, for instance, um, as you're moving towards your goal, um, and it's the first time you've gone down a particular pathway, so we're not confident at all, we're we're still filled with potentially the I can't, and we hit that first barrier, well, historically, that's a great place to quit. But if we can look at that barrier and work with that child and say, okay, here's a potential barrier. 
let's start talking about solutions to one of the barriers you might experience so that we begin that problem-solving process. But embedded in that is in that particular barrier, in that particular solution, who's on your team in that moment. And so it's making sure that along the way, every step of the way, there is a connection to something beyond just themselves and and others. Uh, One of the things that I'm really intrigued with in the OXA program in particular, there's there's an advisory group of foster youth who are on our team helping us look at what does a hope-centered system look like. Um, A couple of them are now doing the trainings, the hope trainings. And so they're part of the we in this journey. Um, You know, we have so much to learn from their experience. And how, how cool is that? That, that an individual who just, you know, aged out of the system and now he's doing hope trainings for foster youth who are aging out of the system. He will have that immediate connection and, yeah. and just that kind of foundational, mm-hmm. I mean, just connection. Yeah, just connection. Right. There's another part of hope that we haven't spent a lot of time on as yet. Uh, we're, we're learning it with you. And it's the idea of collective hope. Collective hope is really emerging as an interesting kind of, uh, of idea because it turns out that um, I might have lower individual hope and still have high collective hope because I'm part of a group that has good pathways, has a great vision, and that I get a sense of willpower or energy as being part of that group. Even though maybe in my own life I'm facing a lot of individual you know, mm-hmm. adversity, my ability to stay connected with a group becomes that protective factor even for me. We've all experienced that. Mm-hmm. It's just now we're thinking about it from this, this framework of hope, and I'm really, really interested uh, in how that's going to start to emerge because what we find is that as collective hope uh, increases. We also see things like team cohesion becoming stronger. Communication uh, is better. Trust um, is stronger. But if you think about what I just said, team cohesion, communication, and trust, that's all about our relationship with another individual. Whereas when we think about hope, that's really about me and my experience, even though I might have others connected to me. So this collective hope is really interesting. That's exciting. Well, this kind of goes into what I think you were just saying. What do you recommend organizations put in practice in order to increase the opportunity for others to experience hope as a social gift? Yeah. Uh, So the first thing that um, comes to my mind, for instance, is um, let's let's think about it from a supervisory level. Um, And so it, it might be that there's a smaller organizations, but if, if we talk about, you know, Department of Human Services, which is such a big agency, so let's maybe bring it down to a smaller level. Um, where we've seen some real power is when uh, the supervisors begin to use this idea of goals and pathways. Um, and so understanding what the employees' personal and professional goals are, what their staff's personal and professional goals are. Um, Because as I understand what your aspirations are for the future, for yourself personally and professionally, I can have a better sense and understanding of how the work in our department or our division or our group might be a pathway for you. 
mm-hmm. um, that our goals aren't necessarily totally aligned, but we can go on this journey together. And so what we've learned from that with other smaller organizations is that issues around performance, conflict management, um, reduction in turnover, for instance, and in some cases where the leadership have re-engineered uh, to give to provide opportunities for professional growth for individuals that they hadn't thought of before. So pretty cool. Yeah. That makes me think, too, about... Um opportunities that that we have with our with our customers I mean I'm I'm assuming we can use kind of that same framework but just change the relationship yeah so as part of the hope awareness training the four-hour training um, everybody goes through the goal worksheet the hope worksheet that we've created and the idea there is uh, to really expose everybody to the process Mm mm-hmm Um, of being very intentional about goals, uh, being very thoughtful about creating those pathways uh, to those goals. Because let's face it, hope is really pretty easy. It's goals, pathways, willpower. The problem is uh, we sometimes forget to do goals, pathway, and willpower. So I really wanted everybody to experience the process. That's why the worksheets for me are so important for people to to experience uh, and, and lean into with regards to that training because my dream is that once you learn that process of goals, pathways, willpower, is that you can take a step back, you know, to 30,000 foot level of your own work and say, you know, with the clients I serve, this worksheet's probably not it, but I bet we can do it this way. Mm-hmm. I bet we can begin to have a conversation with somebody about their goals and then begin to frame those pathways strategies. You know, I, I, I'll train early childhood workers, for instance, using those worksheets. And how do you use that worksheet, you know, with a two-year-old? Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I, quite frankly, um, in most scenarios, I'm not sure that those worksheets are worth much. But for instance, with an early childhood, you know, you could certainly begin to think about the stories that you're going to read to that child and begin to stop and have intentional conversations about what are the goals of the main character? What are some of the barriers that the main character has experienced? How did they overcome those? Because I promise you what you'll see in every story is hope is a social gift, Mm -hmm. that that person did not overcome those barriers by themselves, their friends, their family, the people who are on their team help them overcome that. So there's ways to do this um, that are appropriate, I think, in every situation. How do you help people identify their goals? Because I think sometimes maybe if you are in a situation of hopelessness, mm-hmm. you probably are having, like, you you can't see the forest for the trees. You're, you're probably having trouble connecting to what your goal might be. How do you even take it, like, take it back a little bit and just help them work through that? Yeah. So first of all, I'll I'll just restate, it's not a five-minute solution Mm -hmm. uh, in that. And now in that language of hope and the presentation, we talk about that process of the loss of hope, you know, hope, anger, despair, apathy, hopelessness. And I'll just tell you on a a personal level, that's the hopelessness or the apathy and the despair. Those are the two areas that I like the most. Uh, quite frankly. And a lot of it's for personal reasons, right, for my own story, because I, you know, I kind of feel like I experienced some some of that. And so 
just let's let's think about this uh, hypothetically, for instance. So let's say that uh, you and I are working with, um, um, let's say, a fifth grade uh, child who is uh, apathetic. Um, they, they literally are just sitting in the classroom. They won't engage. If they do engage, it's to be disruptive. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so in, in a sense, they're actively disengaged um, in, in that regard. So if I go up to that apathetic, angry fifth grader and I say, what are your goals? How do you think they're going to respond to that? They aren't. Well, right. (laughs) Uh, First of all, they're going to be angry. Mm -hmm. And it might be something like, well, I don't have any goals, Mm -hmm. right, Uh, in a very kind of agitated sense. So what we do is we take what we learned from the science of hope and say, well, the way I asked that question was a very broad, very future, abstract question. Mm -hmm. What's your goals? So let's shorten the time frame because we know that when people are in stress and adversity, they're better at short-term goal setting. So then the question becomes, well, what would you like to accomplish this week, right? And if I still don't get a response uh, there, then I'll go, what would you like to do with your friends this week, right? What is the goal with your your friends? So when I first ask that child, what are your goals? I don't have any goals. And then I say, well, what do you want to do this week? I don't know. Do you see the change in the response? That's mm-hmm. the hope begets hope piece. Mm-hmm. Now I have them. Right. Um, so then I can start leaning into and in an authentic way of beginning that goal setting. Right. And pathways development. And it's not a five minute conversation. I have to, I have to have rapport and trust. Mm-hmm. Part of that is just being there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So it all goes back to connection. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does go yeah, back to Hope connection. is a social gift. Mm-hmm. The indicators of hope or the qualities of hope, I remember you listed some of those and some things that I watched, like zest and uh, what do you call those? Yeah, character strengths. Character mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So what, that's how you measure hope? Or... So hope, hope itself is a character strength. And so from the positive psychology uh, world, uh, in the field of psychology, there's a there's a movement. Um, it's beyond a movement now. It's over 20 years old, this idea of positive psychology, which is the study of what makes life worth living, has identified 24 character strengths. So love, forgiveness, gratitude, curiosity, self-control, hope, spirituality. Uh, there's 24 of, of them. What the research shows very, very consistently is that out of those 24 character strengths, Hope is the single best predictor of well-being for children and adults. It, it emerges all every time to be the best predictor. But what we also know is that hope does not happen in isolation. Right? It's not just hope. Because in the positive psychology world, hope is described as a Velcro concept. And what we mean by that is that all of these other character strengths, gratitude, curiosity, zest, forgiveness, a whole host of those come along with it. That is, as we increase hope, so too does the ability for self-control, which, by the way, is part of willpower, zest, which is part of willpower, grit. Um, So, again, we see these other strengths also uh, coming along. So, uh, typically, uh, in programs like Camp Hope, uh, which we talk about uh, in Hope Rising in the book, which is a national challenge by choice framework for children exposed to domestic violence. 
every evening around the campfire, they do character strength award. And so it would be, um, you know, Chan, we're, we're going to give you this award uh, because you're awesome. Well, that that's not acceptable. So what we, what we teach uh, the children is, well, here's the character strength of curiosity. And here's what it means. And then we spend the day in the curriculum demonstrating, showing, and giving, giving space for curiosity. We do that with, there's about five or six that we pay attention to. And so at the end of the evening around the campfire, you know, somebody will say, you know, Chan, I saw that you tried to do X, uh, you fell, and a couple of people laughed. And when you first got here, you would have really got angry. But I really saw that your self-control um, in that moment. And so I just want to want to recognize your strength. So we celebrate mm-hmm. those things. And that's that hope as a social gift component because we're changing that internal dialogue uh, for that child. Absolutely. And you're really specific and intentional about Very the intentional. You call Very out. intentional. I, I really appreciate that you said that because at the end of the day, what you're doing is hope, whether whether it's recognized or not. I think my big part of this journey is to try to get people to think about it intentionally and that we're intentionally doing these things because it nurtures hope. And the reason that we want to nurture hope is because it is the single best predictor of well-being. That's the goal. That's the end that we're shooting for is, is the ability for Oklahomans to live life well. We didn't really talk about hope centers, did we? Oh, the Community Hope Centers? Yeah. Do you mind talking on that a little bit? I'm happy to. Um, The Community Hope Centers uh, was really uh, an exciting opportunity uh, for for me in my partnership with the Oklahoma Department of Human Services because um, really, you know, uh, Director Brown's vision uh, as as we were in the throes of COVID and uh, kids and virtual learning and... um, families really in stress and, and duress, um, how, do we, how do we create opportunities for children to be uh, around uh, other children and, uh, and adults so that we can ensure, you know, their safety, that we can ensure their nutrition, at least, uh, at least in part. Mm-hmm. But also, how can we, in that time, wrap around and be a resource for families that are really struggling, you know, because people have uh, um, increasingly lost resources. Maybe they had limited resources already, maybe lost their job or, you know, kids are out of school. So that um, makes uh, life a little difficult for a single parent, for instance, and on and on and on. And so the director's vision of these community hope centers uh, came at a really great time when the CARES uh, act, mm-hmm. uh, and it provided an opportunity for those funds to be allocated towards the creation of these centers across the state of Oklahoma. I believe there are 54 community hope centers, uh, but really what was exciting for me is that uh, every one of those centers then uh, went through the hope awareness training, so that four-hour uh, training. So all 54 centers have been trained uh, in the science of hope. Uh, which makes them just really excellent potential opportunities in partnership with DHS. As you're going down this road, now it's expanding out uh, to those neighborhoods and, and to, those, to those areas. Uh, each Community Hope Center was allowed to have at least two 
uh, hope navigators that we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, So that, again, we're training in the science of hope, but we always want to have an eye towards sustainability. Uh, Just like uh, we're doing here uh, within the divisions, those hope navigators developed developed their own implementation plan for the Community Hope Center. And so the really um, wonderful opportunity. I was going to say really stressful, but um, your director ha- it's, your director seems to have this one speed, um, <laughs> which is um, really fast. Um, but it's an exciting thing to be a part of because the vision um, is something people can get behind, yes. and and there's these mechanisms, these pathways that it, it feels like maybe they're not fully fleshed out, but those pathways are there. We know from the data that we've already collected that uh, Oklahoma Department of Human Services is a high hope organization. And so high hope individuals like challenges, mm-hmm. right? They like challenges. <laughs> so if you can set this vision, people will find a way to make it so. For me, it was uh, it was an exciting time because really what that meant was between October, November, and by the middle of December, we had to train all 54 community hope centers, and we had to train all hope navigators. So we literally, every single day um, for those three months, were in training and uh, ultimately trained uh, over 90 hope navigators, uh, which was really exciting because we're creating a hope army uh, for the state of Oklahoma, and I love that. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Makes me think a lot about prevention too. Oh my gosh, yes. And yeah. how a place like that yeah. is a preventer from coming in contact with us, hopefully down the road. That's, that is so true. That is so true. Yeah, in the in the prevention aspect of it, when we can begin to look upstream, right, of nurturing hope, if we start, uh, imagine what this looks like in early childhood uh, centers. Imagine what this looks like in our school systems. Imagine what this looks like with DHS's largest state agency. We now have an opportunity where a child who's being touched by three different systems have three different systems that have a common language and a way to think about how that child progresses. It's continuity and it affects all of us. Right. Well, and then it it provides for an opportunity where uh, we have individuals now, you know, embedded in schools to, to help the school systems, people who are, um, you know, trained in trauma and adversity. Uh, and it just, uh, to me, it's just so exciting because now, just like the Community Hope Center, what if we had that same model in our school systems? Mm-hmm. Game changer. Game changer, <laughs> right? But we all have a common goal. We all have a common goal, and that is the well-being of Oklahoma. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Waypoint, where we're on this journey together. If you'd like to find out your hope score or learn how you can provide hope to others in your community, visit beaneighbor.ok.gov. If you'd like to listen to other Waypoint episodes, visit ourokdhs.org.